Years ago, when my kids were little, I was at a playland. There's another little boy up at the top. And his grandma came in and said, uh, Jimmy, it's time to go. And Jimmy said, no. Well, Grandma had plans to go, but she was not in a shape or condition to climb up into that thing. And, and so uh, her th- plans were thwarted by Jimmy's no. Jimmy's rejection of her plea that it's time to go frustrated her. It confounded her. And I finally left with my boys because I was uncomfortable. I'm sure it got resolved somehow. But his rejection thwarted her plans. So for these past number of weeks, we've looked at a sovereign God who has made the fullness of himself available in the gospel. But here's my question. Does human rejection, does our rejection of God thwart his plans? That is, does our rejection ruin his sovereignty? I want us to think about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you turn to Romans 9, We're going to start there in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through to verse 30. Wrestling with this question, does a rejection of God thwart God's control in our world, in our lives? I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, We're continuing in our study of Romans. Invite you, if you've got a Bible, to open it to Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Paul, why are you so sad? What is it that's causing you great sorrow and unceasing grief? Well, here we go. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh. So there's the reason Paul is sad. His kinsmen according to the flesh, Jews. Paul was born of Jewish descent. Well, they're separated from God. They have rejected God's offer. Now we're talking about the Jewish people in Paul's day. But like every other Jew in history, they, they have the call of God on them. They are, are God's people. And, and these people have pushed back. Uh, and Paul makes that clear in verse 4. Who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons. God picked this nation of people out long ago. He adopted them, his choice. And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. God uh, cut a deal with them and, and he gave them his law. And, and he's called them out to represent them. And yet they are pushing back on Jesus. Whose, in verse 5 he says, are the fathers, and for whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Jesus comes through the line of Israel. He's Jewish. And he's God's ultimate offer of salvation. And the nation is pushing back. There's our problem. God's people have rejected God. How's it play out? Is God, like the grandma, at the bottom of the playland, thwarted? Because Jimmy 
won't respond? Is he, is he frustrated? Is, is he thrown off? Is, is he, what he want to do not going to happen? Well, Paul answers that in verse 6. Right off the bat, he says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. So no, this is not a failure of God's word. God is not confounded. He's not confused. He's not, well, then what's going on? Here's what Paul says, second part of verse 6. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. What is that? Well, people are born physically in the line of Israel. But out of that, there is a spiritual Israel. There are a people that are called to God. And not all of spiritual Israel is a part, or not all of physical Israel qualifies as spiritual Israel. Andy, what are you talking about? Well, here we go. We're going to get two examples. We're going to go all the way back to the forefathers, and we're going to start with Abraham. Abraham actually had two sons, and so Paul will pick that up. Verse 7, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac, your descendants will be named. So Abraham had two sons, one with his wife, Sarah. That son's name was Isaac. A second son with a maidservant named Hagar. Abraham and Sarah decided this pregnancy ain't happening. Why don't you go be with Hagar? And, and that they produced, Abraham produced a second son with Hagar. His name was Ishmael. And what we're going to find out is even though Abraham had two descendants, only one line is blessed. Paul says, verse 8, that is, not the children of the flesh who are children of God. He's taught flesh is what we do apart from God. That's what Abraham and Sarah decided. We, we need to do this apart from God. And so they went and they got Hagar and, and, and Paul saying, those people, those descendants of Abraham are not children of God. But the children of the promise, talking about the descendants of Isaac, are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise, at the time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So we're asking this question, man, Israel has rejected God. Ancient Israel, the people of Paul's time. Is God flummoxed? Is God confused? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. God was always in control of this. Now let's, and Paul's saying, let's not be mistaken. It's not as if everybody born physically a Jew is a person of God. And he goes to Abraham and he says, look, two sons, two lines. One chosen, one not. Going to give us a second example. Going to go to the next generation. Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. Together they have twins, Jacob and Esau. And this is what Paul says. And now... And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, whom she conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and they had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice could stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. That was the reverse. Paul, uh, God said, I'm going to do this differently Usually the older is served by the younger. I'm flipping it. The younger will be served by the older. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now this is not a visceral, emotional thing that God hates Esau, but it's a word play. And what he's trying to emphasize is God has chosen to favor Jacob and not Esau. God has chosen to favor the descendants of Jacob and not those of Esau. And again, we're making the point here. 
that not everyone that is born of Jewish descent is chosen of God, is one of God's chosen people. Now, that gives rise to a question, doesn't it? If before they were born, God says, I'm choosing Jacob and his descendants, and I'm not choosing Esau and his descendants, is that fair? Is that fair? Well, Paul anticipates that question, verse 14. He says, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. Can God be unjust, unjust? No. Okay. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So Moses was chosen of God. But in his actions, Moses murdered a man, and he had to run. And he spent 40 years on the backside of a desert. Yet God chose him. God chose to show Moses mercy. And Moses is the one who leads Israel out of the promised land. While Moses is doing that, leading them out of the promised land, he, he has a, a nemesis, an enemy, an antagonist, and that's Pharaoh. And, and Paul talks about Pharaoh in verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. So with Moses, he shows him mercy. With Pharaoh, now, now, now Pharaoh, let's not say Pharaoh got a bad day. Pharaoh led a genocide, okay? Pharaoh oppressed people. At one point he said, I'm going to require the same quota, but I'm going to take your supply of materials away. He was ruthless. So the, the, the Pharaoh's not a victim here. But when Moses came and said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, it's not happening. And God said, you want to harden your heart? I'll, I'll, I'll help you along the way. And by the way, I'll show myself great through you. God showed Moses to mercy and not to Pharaoh. That's his choice. God is sovereign in everything. And in his sovereignty, he is not unjust. See, remember, we're asking the question, all right, so Israel rejects God. They did at the time Jesus came and afterwards. Does, was God thwarted? Was God confused? Was God confounded? No, no, no. Israel was fitting into the plan of God. And the bigger thing is every human choice fits under the sovereignty of God. So we're asking this question, does human rejection of God, and you've got people reject God in your world, and I've got people reject God in my world, and they don't, then does that thwart, it, it, does that confound God? No, it doesn't. We see here from ancient Israel that every human choice fits under the sovereignty of God. Now again, when we look at the sovereignty, we wonder, is it fair that God shows mercy to some and not to others? And so you go to a Los Angeles Lakers game, and you're on the front row. And the game finishes, and LeBron James, the star of the team, is walking off. And he's played his game, and he, he is free to go to the locker room. But of his own free will, he stops, and he signs some autographs. And maybe even he gives his shoes away to somebody, and, and you're waiting in line, and then he says, yeah, I'm done, I, I, I'm tired, I'm going to the locker room. 
You can't go, hey, wait, 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 you come back here and you sign my autograph. He's not compelled to do that. He chose to stop of his own free will, and he can sign as many or as few as he wants, and then he can go on his way. That's his choice. That's his goodness. That's his favor to give. If that's true with an athlete, how much more with God? God does as he pleases, as he wants in his creation, and he answers to nobody. And that comes out in verses 19 through 24. He says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, you, O man, who answers back to God, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? Well, does not the potter have the right over the clay to make for some, the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for comedy? Sure he does. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power note, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, we also called not even among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. Look, God can do as he wants. He is sovereignly at work, and every choice is falling under his sovereign will, and he is free to move as he wants. So you say to me, then, then Andy, are, are, are we just robots? Is, does this God's sovereignty uh, just overwill our, overrule our free will? And I would say no. The Bible teaches both God's sovereignty and human free will. And we will see that in chapter 10. Paul will talk about the choice Israel made under the sovereignty of God. And they work together. And in fact, in Romans 10, verse 11, Paul will quote, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him, whoever, whoever, not the chosen, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. It, the, this offer of salvation is to any who would believe. And so we have human free will and sovereignty of God working together. Even in the history of salvation, God knew hundreds of years beforehand that he would reach out to the Gentiles in the time after Jesus. Here's what he says, verse 25. And he also says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, the Gentiles, my people. And her who was not beloved, the Gentiles, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. Even this explosion among the Gentiles that continues today was part of God's plan. Every human choice fits under the sovereignty of God. As we go back to Israel, God never, never said it would always, it would be all of Israel. He always claimed it would be a remnant. It would be a part through whom he would work and choose. Verses 27 to 29, he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of sons of Israel be like the sands of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath has left us a posterity, would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. So Andy, what's this all about? What's this all about? We can think somehow Human decisions trump 
the will of God. Somewhere, somehow, God is not in control. And what Paul is saying is, he absolutely is. And this offer of the gospel goes out, and there are people who receive it and people who reject it, and it all fits under the sovereignty of God. And yet they are making the choice of their free will. Why does this matter? Let's say you're going in for heart surgery. When you're under, you need to know that doctor is in control of, of any kind of contingency. I mean, you, if you pull away or something happens or something pulls out, you need to know that, that he can, can handle whatever comes his way. Otherwise, you're not going to trust him. You're not going to put yourself. Well, if that's true with a heart surgeon, how much more with God? He is in control. You know, Paul started this book saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, for it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek, to the religious and then to the non-religious. The gospel will not fail. It will accomplish what God has purposed for it because he's sovereign and he's in control. And you know, as you think of the people that are in your life don't know Jesus right now, they're not there by accident. God's placed them there. Will you trust him that he's at work in their lives and working through you to draw them to himself? Aren't you glad he's ultimately in control of their salvation and not you? And you know, there's another side of it. I, I remember there were friends of mine in college that I looked up to when I first became a Christian, and, and they've since walked away from the faith. And, and it leaves me scratching my head. What happened? You know, I don't have an answer for that. But the sovereign God does. It didn't catch him by surprise. He is working out his plan in every instance, in every circumstance, with every human decision. So if you're a football fan, you know a lot rides on the quarterback. And oftentimes the quarterback will come up to the, the line of scrimmage to start the play, and, and he has a, a receiver in mind, but the, the defense has committed a second man over there. They, they've double teamed that receiver, and the, they've taken that option away, or, or, or they show that at the last second. See, the outstanding quarterback can process that information and know there's a weakness someplace else and there's someplace else I can go. I can gain our objective some other way. And we count on our quarterbacks to do that all the time in football. Okay, if that's true with the human quarterback, how much more with a sovereign God? He is not thrown by a change. He is not thrown by a decision. He is in complete control. Does human rejection God, thwart God's control. Absolutely not. Every human decision fits under the sovereign will of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful that you are in control, that you are never out of control, and that somehow, some way, if we think humanity can thwart you, ah, we're wrong. 
And even this instance, as Paul talked about the Jewish people of his day, God's people rejecting Jesus, Paul said it was all fit. God's not surprised. Thank you that uh, it's the sovereign God that makes the uh, beautiful gospel so available.